Pat Park Church. I'll admit, I'm very distracted all the time. <laughs> Happy third week of Advent. This day of third is the Gaudet Advent Sunday, Latin for rejoice. So the word for today is rejoice. And the question is, how do you rejoice when you are discouraged? Mm, mm. I think that's the children yelling in the back, giving me response. Um, but this past week, you, some of you know Curtis Hawkins. He plays bass in the band, cleans the church. You know, Curtis, um, he went out to go drive his car, and it was gone. And a police officer drove up, and he waved him down and said, and the officer said, well, how can I help you? And he said, well, I would like to report a stolen car. And the officer said, is your last name Hawkins? And he's like, yes. And um, in the dramatic telling of the story, Curtis's car is back. He's got it in impound. But they stole his car and then used it to um, steal packages off people's porches. <laughs> so discouraging and then more discouraging, just discouraging. And as to talk with Curtis about it, it's like you just feel like you're just dipped in discouragement. And even when it's over, there's just this residue still on you of discouragement. You know what that's like? Um, I, this past Sunday, a week ago, did a memorial service for a 17-year-old, and it was not right And to do it so young. And I still have that feeling of being dipped in discouragement and the stories that his friends told and the family told. It's just discouraging. So I don't know what your variety of discouragement is, but how do you rejoice when... You're discouraged. And since it's Advent, and John the Baptist is Mr. Advent himself. I don't know if you know this, but John the Baptist is always in Advent in the scripture readings. And you might think, why? What's the deal with this guy? Who is this guy even? Why does he get to be in Advent? And the kids don't even include him in their <laughs> show shortly. Well, if you have an impression of John the Baptist in your mind, what is your impression of John the Baptist? If you think about John the Baptist, you know, what do you think of about him? Do you think, specifically, do you think he's angry or is he happy? What do you think? Is John the Baptist angry or is he happy? Well, maybe you're thinking, I don't even know who John the Baptist is. Well, just to bring you up to speed a little bit, John the Baptist was the guy that God chose before conception of him to be the one who would prepare the way for Jesus, the Messiah. So John the Baptist's parents, um, Zach, it, there's a long story. But an angel met them and said, hey, you're going to have this kid, and he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from within the womb. And his parents are really old, and they like, didn't believe it. So John the Baptist, and then he's called for this job. And then he lives out his job. In a unique way, he lived mostly in the desert, and he wore odd clothes like camel hair clothes with just a leather belt, and he ate mil or locusts and honey out in the desert. These are the things we know about John the Baptist. And John had a job to do to prepare the way for Jesus, the Messiah. And so he had this message, repent. And he also did this thing. He did a baptism for the repentance and forgiveness of sins. And John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus by saying, look, these are bad things. God has said, don't do these kinds of things. 
repent of that, and do these things, these good things that God has showed us what to do. That was John the Baptist. So as you're thinking about him, is he angry or happy? Well, we'll keep thinking about that. Scripture about John the Baptist is Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. You could look in your Bibles there. I'm just going to go walking through this today. Um, But Luke 3, verse 7, here's the beginning of John the Baptist, what he does. It says, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? So, what do you do? I've actually, I'll admit, I'm very distracted this whole week by what does it mean, brood of vipers? And how do you feel when I call you, hello, Platt Park Church, brood of vipers? Happy Advent to you. What does that mean? And it certainly gets our attention, but what does it mean (laughs) to be a brood of vipers? I mean, first, it could simply mean he's like, hey, you little baby's family of a viper mother, and you're just a bunch of snakes that have venom, and there's nothing wrong with you. You just are that. You are just what you were born to be. It's what you are. You're born that way. And these are the odd things, but in Greek thinking, mythology, they thought that um, viper mothers, when they mated, bit off the head of the male. And then when the babies were born, because the eggs are in the mommy, and then they hatch inside her and crawl out live. And some people thought that they would crawl out through her and she would die. So there's a lot of stuff about a brood of vipers. Hopefully making you very curious. But also, brood of vipers might have a biblical reference because way back at the fall when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, there was a curse on the serpent, the serpent. And there's this allusion to this future Messiah who would come and crush the head of the serpent. So maybe brood of vipers is referring to them as children of Satan. That doesn't probably feel very good either. But there might be some hope because there's in the the snake, there's this promise that the Messiah will come and make things right and bring something new. So maybe even in that, you're a child of Satan, but there's hope for you. I mean, the people continued listening to John the Baptist. They didn't run away. They didn't, like, stone him. So it could be that, or it also could be not a negative comment at all, which is hard to understand, but maybe saying, hey, you're a brood of vipers. You are what you were made to be. And another biblical reference to Numbers chapter 21, very obscure in some ways, but God actually used vipers or poisonous snakes to his purpose. So back then, the people of Israel were wandering in the desert, and they were complaining a lot, a lot about the miraculous food God gave them every day and taking care of them, just complaining, complaining, complaining. And so God got tired of that and sent venomous snakes to bite them. He's like, you don't like the good food I give you? Here, here's some snakes to bite you. And they were dying. And then God says to Moses, hey, Moses, make a bronze serpent, snake, and put it on a pole in the center of the camp. And if anyone gets bit by a serpent, 
They should look to that bronze serpent, and God will heal them. And here's this image of God doing a miraculous thing of healing when people turn their faith to him. Oh, whatever it means, you brood of vipers, it's interesting. Because I think the people gathered around John the Baptist were thinking, brood of vipers, okay, yes, we know that we are not pure people who do everything right. We know we do bad things. And we are here listening intently to what you have to say. So with the brood of vipers, John asked them a question. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? What's the answer to that question? Who warned you? Do you know this? There's a whole crowd of people coming out into the wilderness to see this guy, John the Baptist. There's something going on there. Who warned them to come and see him? God. God warned them. So there's something deeply profound in what John says. Hey, you brood of vipers, who warned you? God warned you. God's like calling you, and you are responding. So right here, I think that John is happy, happy to see them. Who warned you? God. God is moving. God is active. Something's going on here. And you responded. And you are actually going to do this crazy thing of being baptized in the Jordan River, which was really embarrassing socially and publicly, religiously, and just physically in the dirty water. It was embarrassing. And yet they are willing to do it because they feel this call from God to do something. And John calls them to repent. So, that's just the opening line. But now, John gets into his very standard John the Baptist message, which is, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. John's calling them to this thing of repentance, to do the right thing, to turn away from what is wrong or evil or bad or sinful. Turn away from that and do what you know is good and right. And then in this passage in Luke, Luke unpacks what does it mean to produce fruit of repentance to three groups of people. Three groups. First, the Jewish people, and then the Jewish people who are not liked by the other Jewish people, and then the Romans who are really not liked by them at all. So here's how it goes. He begins with the Jewish people gathered because you imagine that there's a crowd of people and made up of Jewish people who were religious and religious leaders. There's just common Jewish people who are devout and really wanting to seek out God. And then there's just common Jewish people who they're just going through the motions religiously, but they're all there, and they've felt, felt this call from God, and they're there. So this is the group of people that John first says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Hmm. Seems again harsh. John calling them to repentance to produce good fruit. And he calls out their excuse. 
oh, we are God's children. This is the age-long excuse of Israel, that they are God's children, so they don't have to do anything. They don't have to actually obey God. God can't get mad at them because they're his children. And John says, nope. It's not where you came from. Remember that brood of vipers? You are what you were born into. Yes, you are born into this family, but you need to produce good fruit. It's now up to you to choose and to choose to do something about it. This is the, what prophets of Israel have been doing for years and years. They've been saying, hey, Israel, God is here. He wants to be your God. He wants you to be his people. Here's how you need to do, to live, to be God's people. And so long they've pushed against God. And now John is saying, look, the axe is at the tree root. That your lineage, it's not going to matter. And in fact, in this point in history, most Israel people are dispersed and it's changed. It's not the 12 tribes altogether anymore. It's all disbanding. So, produce good fruit. Repent from that stuff and go choose good stuff. Well, as you're imagining this story happening, where does rejoice fit in with John the Baptist? As you're thinking about this, you're thinking rejoice, you know, trees are going to get burned up, what's going on? Well, the rejoice is simply that God has called people and they have responded. I mean, God is moving, and that's something to rejoice, that God is moving, you've heard from him, and now you are responding, you are there, you have something to rejoice in. And you can rejoice that you have the opportunity to repent and produce good fruit. Like, this is, this is in front of you as an option. You don't have to live as a brood of vipers. You can move and become one of the stones that God makes into his children. This is something to rejoice about. They can rejoice that they have the opportunity to hear from God and to respond. Well, and the people do respond. This group says this. What should we do then? The crowd asked. And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share one, share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. That's interesting. What's good fruit? Sharing. Seeing someone else and living in community together. John gave them a very accessible, easy thing to do. Just share. That's it. Share. Hmm. The other groups of people, the tax collectors and the Roman soldiers, let's get what happens to them. Now, these groups of people, they're there with John the Baptist. They've come out, too. They've heard. They've responded. And when they hear brood of vipers, they might be thinking, yeah, that's what everybody says and worse about us. Like, they get called worse things every day because as a tax collector— you are stealing from the people, and you've left your heritage, and you've aligned with Rome. And if you're a Roman soldier, well, you're just an outsider, but you're just exploiting people to your own benefit. You're using your power for your gain. So they are hearing John say, hey, you brood of vipers, and they're like, yep, got it. And their question is, are we included? 
are we included in what you're talking about? Is there hope for us in this new thing you're talking about? And here's what they say in asking John. It says, even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? And John responds, don't collect any more than you're required to. And then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Hmm. Again, Jesus is, or J- John, who is a forerunner of Jesus, John is giving these very simple things to do in producing fruit of repentance. It's very interesting. He, he doesn't say, hey, you have really bad, evil jobs. Quit those jobs and go get a good, right job. No. John's like, your job is fine. Actually, your job as a tax collector, your job as a soldier, those are all important parts of society and functioning. There's nothing wrong with the job. The thing that happens is when you use your job to cheat others and get money for yourself, or when you're a soldier and you use your power for your benefit and gain to the hurt of somebody you're extorting. So the job isn't the problem. It's doing your job with honesty and integrity and respect toward other people. So here's John the Baptist not giving some huge hard thing to do. He's just saying, look, repent of that and do good, produce good fruit. Again, we ask, (laughs) where does joy fit into this? And here is a group of people who feels like they're left out, not included, pushed to the margin. And John says, you're included. You can produce fruit. You can choose to produce good fruit today. So they have a little bit of rejoicing because God is also inviting them. God is is calling them. And they have a choice. God's inviting them into this life. And it's worthy of rejoicing. And all of this rejoicing of the crowd is showed by them being a bit stunned. It says, the people were waiting expectantly and were wondering if in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water. But one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John extorted the exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. So this is good news. Again, we're using this metaphor from farming of burning up the chaff, you know, of separating the wheat and the chaff. I imagine you're familiar with the uh, idea at least that wheat grows in a field and it has an outer husk that needs to be separated away from the kernel within to then make flour or whatever we're going to make with the wheat the goodness inside. Well, here, 
John is using this illustration for Jesus to come. This is what Jesus is going to do. Remove the chaff from the wheat. He's going to separate. But what is he separating? What is Jesus going to do? If you think about John the Baptist preparing the way, what is he doing? He's inviting people to make choices to produce good fruit, to repent from that and go do this. He's preparing them to be open to God. And then what will Jesus do? Jesus will take it a whole nother step of not only you making choices to produce good fruit, but Jesus coming alongside and saying, I'm going to remove the evil, the sin, the impurity from you. I'm going to remove that from you. And you are going to live as a good wheat seed. This is the thing Jesus is doing. So we have our job and our part in repentance and producing good fruit, and God has his part in removing the chaff from us and to purifying us. Alexander Solzhenitsyn has a great quote, and I think he's right in saying that, yes, there's a line between good and evil, but that line doesn't get drawn between groups. Instead, that line is drawn in each person. Here's what he said. If only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being, and who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Jesus is separating the wheat from the chaff in each of us. Jesus is making a people who are his very own, separating the evil and the sin from them and burning that up and liberating us from that husk in order to live the life God's calling us into. Another great image as we have this idea of God making stones into his children is that someday— looking forward to Jesus, this is now in the past, but someday God would send somebody, Jesus, who would be able to remove our hearts of stone and put in a heart of flesh to make us spiritually alive. That's what Jesus is doing. This is the exciting thing that John is looking forward to with Jesus. He's preparing the way by, yeah, you do your part, repent, produce good fruit, and then God will do his part in making you spiritually alive. And so today, what do we have to rejoice in? Even when we're discouraged, even when the circumstances of life and the things are hard, we can still rejoice, fully and deeply rejoice, that God is calling us, inviting us into life with him, that we get this choice to do our part, to repent and to produce good fruit. And that we get to participate in this thing where Jesus is separating the chaff in our life from us. He's purifying us, liberating us, empowering us, restoring us into a spiritual life with him. I have a prayer from Henry Nowen that I'd like to close with. So if you'd join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, master of both the light and the darkness, Send your Holy Spirit 
upon our preparations for Christmas. We who have so much to do and seek quiet spaces to hear your voice each day. We who are anxious over many things look forward to your coming among us. We who are blessed in so many ways long for the complete joy of your kingdom. We whose hearts are heavy seek the joy of your presence. We are your people, walking in darkness, yet seeking the light. To you we say, come Lord Jesus. Amen.